Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Diffusion. We are happy to welcome back to the Diffusion studio Tilly Boleyn and Chris Stewart. We've basically trawled all of the scientific news from this week to bring you a jam-packed science episode. Tilly has brought in her usual shit and by that I mean the story about scientists studying cassowary shit to reveal where they've been hiding. She also has a story about pleasure hormones as well as how to limit the effect of alcohol. Chris has brought in a story for the year of astronomy. So to get everything started, let's throw it over to Tilly. Hello. Thank you very much, Chucky Hayes. Yes, indeed. It will be me talking about shit. (laughs) It's not often I find myself talking about it, but I guess that's part of the wonderful world of science, isn't it? We get to talk about everything on this planet. And it's one of the things that I love about this show. It's (laughs) one of our best segments. Of course. Let's talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's the real science, Tilly? The real science, it's taking place in northern Queensland here in Australia. And the plan is that they're going to track not only the movements, but also the numbers of cassowaries that we've got left in the wet tropics by investigating the DNA in their dung. And uh, so, uh, how are we not sure how many there are exactly? Oh, have you ever seen a cassowary? But to be honest, I don't even know what it Put is. Put your so. hand up if you've ever seen it. I've been to the northern mm. of Queensland, which is where... I was about to say northern territory, but that's not what I meant. North of Queensland. And wandering around, you see all these signs of the sort of, you know, kangaroo Cass- crossing O-wary. here and koalas crossing here. And, but they're cassowaries. But you never see a cassowary, and I don't think they actually exist. No, they... I'm going to put my hand up and say this is a myth. No, no, they're not a unicorn, I promise you. But um, they are so, so super shy, and they only... They travel... They don't travel together. They're solitary creatures, apart from when they're mating. And there are... There are very But they they never open their eyes. (laughs) Awful. There are really... There's not that many of them. But scientists at the CSIRO are going to be taking a real grassroots approach to this project... Uh, not just because that's where they'll be finding it, because they're getting the local community involved. I'm still thinking about that one, Tilly, but move on. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting the local community involved. They're actually getting volunteers who live in the area to go around and pick up the dung and then give it to the scientists, which is great. You don't even get your hands dirty. Um, Now, did you know, (laughs) This involves kids, doesn't it? Because CSIRO is always doing this. If they ever come up with, I've got this research project, but it involves poo. I know. (laughs) School kids. Get school kids involved. They'll pick up anything and send it to you. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't. It really is the local community. It's all right. But did you know that cassowaries are the heaviest flightless bird in Australia? Now, the emu pips them at the post for height, but they are the biggest in heft. How cool is that? I didn't know that because I've never seen one because they don't exist. I don't know what they are. I figured out from this conversation they're a bird. They look like a turkey, but they're much bigger. They've got this weird gobbly They're like a slightly smaller emu with a funny head. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah. Apologies to cassowaries everywhere, but that's the best I can <laughs> do. Because I've never seen one because they don't exist. Look, actually, the last cassowary census that they did was more than 20 years ago, and that's what we're basing all of our information on. At the moment, they're saying that we have between 1,000 and 4,000, you know, which is a bit potluck. And, mm. imagine, uh, so and that's, this, not, that's not very many at all. No, no, no. no, no. But this new, this new dung study um, is going to be able to change everything that we know. And maybe in this census, we'll actually find out that all of the cassowaries have changed their religion to Jedi, like <laughs> so many of the humans. Um, no, look, what they can do, of course, with DNA fingerprinting is that they can isolate individuals. So they're going to be able to say how many individuals they are, how related they are to each other, and then we'll have a better idea of what's going on in the world of cassowary. What do you think about that? That's uh, that's fascinating, Tilly. Thank you very much. No worries. Now, uh, Chris, it is the year of astronomy. It is, yes. So you've brought in a story about telescopes. Well, I have. I mean, if it's going to be the international year of something, then someone somewhere's got to break the ground on some big new thing that you've got to build for that year. That, that is the law set down by the United is, Nations. It is. United Nations. You can't have a year unless you're going to build something really big. Okay? Hang on. What happened with the year of the potato then? That was last <laughs> really, year. No, really big potato oh, in yeah. Kansas. Okay, you didn't yeah. see it? Yeah, fair they enough. Carved it into, they carved it into a big thing of George Bush. It was great. So this year we've got really big telescope. Now, there's actually a couple of things under. Is that the, the actual moment. name? Really big telescope. <laughs> no, but <laughs> because I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't if it put was. it past him. No, 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 no. No, this is uh, this is something else entirely. This is the 500 meter aperture spherical telescope, or FAST. <laughs> you always need a good acronym. Um, now. There are, there are different kinds of telescopes, and we're no longer sort of talking about your backyard, you know, stick your eye up to the little thing and look up into the heavens and, oh, look, there's a meteor. We're now talking the difference between really big dishes mm. and lots and lots of little dishes. And so you'll be aware that at the moment there's the square kilometre array yes. and there's lots of argy-bargy about whether or not Australia or Africa or somewhere else is going to be able to build this ridiculously large array of very small radio telescopes. And it, is it a... Is a square kilometre big? Uh, yes. It's a kilometre along a side. You're amazing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was just checking. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I mean, yeah. it's a fair point. Is yeah. that big? Yes. Imagine a telescope a kilometre along an edge. And, yeah, it's pretty big. Mm. Um, but this one that they've that they're just broken ground on over in China is, uh, is a single-dish telescope. And uh, one of the, the most famous images in astronomy of... of, of telescopes worldwide, is the Arecibo dish, which is the one that looks as if it's just sort of landed from outer space in the middle of this mountain. It's gone boom. It's not sitting up on top of a, of a base or anything. It's actually a hollowed-out dish in a mountain pointing up at the sky. And it's about 300 metres across. And that's big. I can't Jackie's even, looking I can't, like, yeah, no, it is Yeah, big. I can't even big. imagine that. But okay, okay, well, your, your standard um, yeah, cricket ground is 100 metres or 150 metres, right? Okay. So wow. this is big. So three right? times the size of the yeah. SCG. Yeah, and that's Arecibo, and that's in Puerto Rico. So <laughs> oh, we're now talking... Nice. Do you like that? Puerto Rico. Uh, there's people in Puerto Rico picking this up and going, you don't even <laughs> say it that way. <laughs> anyway, in China, getting back to the story of FAST, the 500-metre aperture spherical telescope, they went, no, we can build one bigger. It's International Year of Astronomy. Come on, start digging. And they found this mountain range, which has a similar sort of um, uh, dip in it of the right kind of size and shape, pointing in the right direction. And so they're just building this massive telescope dish 500 metres across, in the valley. 
What 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 benefit is the extra two hundred meters of diameter? Are they going to um, see lots more? Yeah, stuff? yeah. I mean, it, it basically doubles the sensitivity. So this becomes the the most sensitive ground-based single-dish telescope. When the square kilometre array opens up, it's, it's going to blow everything out of the water. But Wait. this thing allows us to see stuff that you couldn't possibly see before. For example, one of the things that they would really like to do with this one is to spot the first pulsar, which is a, a kind of, of um, spinning neutron star that's, that's spitting out um, radiation uh, a couple of times every second. And so it's spinning around and going beep, 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 beep. It was one of the first things that they thought was actually an extraterrestrial when they picked up the signal from outer space because it was so regular. Turned out to be a little neutron star spinning around, spitting out all this stuff. But we've only ever seen them in our galaxy. And this is one of the things that this thing would be able to pick up is in another galaxy, a whole different galaxy, one of these little stars spinning around as an example of the kind of sensitivity that you could pick up with this with this telescope. Where are they getting the money from? It's China. They've got a they've yeah, got a minerals right. boom. They've got this amazing amazing um, economy that's blowing away the rest of the world. Let's blow some of it on the International Year of Astronomy and see little stars rotating in circles. Hey, it's important. <laughs> It is. That's why you've got to humour the astronomers got, this year. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You've had your year. Let's get back yeah, to the rest. Because God okay? knows, after the global financial meltdown, they're not going to get any more money for exactly, their research. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This week from the Australian National University and a solar company came the idea of spray-on solar panels. Basically, it's, it hasn't been done yet. They're looking at um, making the technology available about 2011, so a couple of years from now. The name says it all. You get to spray on some panels that basically absorb you know, sunlight and uh, power whatever you want, be it your iPod iPhone. Now, spray-on to me sounds the equivalent of, you know, you go out to the beach and you spray on your sunscreen and then you spray on your solar panel. I mean, are we talking about spraying on anything you like in your arm? Are you talking about you have to spray it onto a specific tile on your roof? Are you talking about where are we spraying this? (laughs) On my head? It would would be really cool if you could spray it onto your head. Um, No, basically the idea is that uh, right now it's really expensive to make these solar panels and then they only get about 20% efficiency out of them anyway and they've got to be made in like vacuums and deposited properly all that sort of stuff Uh, but now what they're doing instead is this what they're trying to develop is um, a more inexpensive method which is basically just um, one spray on hydrogen film and then um, they spray an anti-reflective film over the top and Bob's your uncle hook everything up to it so uh, presumably they can go up to your roof and just install these things quite easily instead of the months and months it takes to to create them and so this isn't awesome. solar panel in a can this is not sort <laughs> of this this isn't la butter in a can solar panel in a can <laughs> but then what would happen could you still walk on your roof because i have this neighbor whose cat always gets up on my roof and if i get sol- spray on solar panels what happens 
your iPod stops charging. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm yes. always asking the big questions. <laughs> and are they talking about the fact that people could actually be doing this themselves rather than big corporations coming and doing it? Um, I don't think that's the idea now, but I, I really hope that is the idea in the future because the I guess the point is that you don't need this huge expect expensive vacuum system to mm. create solar panels we can do it almost ourselves it's like, a manufacturing process it's it's you know yeah. taking something which is incredibly expensive to do and saying no 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 we can do it in a spray painting kind of way presumably something like you would spray spray paint your car i don't know but, i know but and, it's a, a much po- simpler process possibly um give jobs to all of the graphic artists around newtown right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually that'd be that would be good you could have solar panels but done in the design of your choice mm. actually that would be really that cool that would be really Cool. Okay, you- quick, patent this show. <laughs> yeah. We just had a we just had a big check idea. That is great. We're never going to need to work again. Fantastic. Yay! This is the last episode of Diffusion. <laughs> you can contact us at diffusion at millionaires.com. <laughs> oh, it's great when we come up yeah. with gold like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good. And uh, Tilly, what else have you got for us? Some kind of pleasure hormone? Indeed, I indeed. It's the good old locust mm. back in the spotlight. Again, now last year, I don't know if you guys saw, but some Australian researchers uh, revealed that swarming locusts would happily eat their neighbouring locust if they stopped moving forward in a swarm, okay? Hang on, let me just catch that because I I didn't catch that last year. So locusts, as we all know, little insects, big insects, that swarm across the country, Mm -hmm. leaving absolute destruction in their wake. I mean, this is one of the the biblical plagues. And it's pretty horrific when you see it. But what you're saying is, if the locust in front says, oh, I've got a scratch, I've got an itch, and the one behind them goes, nope, too bad, and eats them up. Just another protein source. So that's Ooh. why they keep moving. Well, it could Piss be... off. Yeah. Go, go off. <laughs> yeah. They're very sensitive in their back legs. I'm full. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what happens. It's terrifying. So that, that gives us a little bit more of an insight into why they keep moving in the masses that they do. But the same team... That, that gave us that classic research, um, has now actually shown what makes locusts swarm. And it turns out that it's a neurotransmitter mm-hmm. called serotonin. Does oh, the that, happy uh, drug. Yeah, does that pique any interest mm-hmm. there? That's the same drug that when you take ecstasy floods through your brain. Yes, one of them. you super happy. That's correct. And, of course, if you have low levels of depression in humans, that's associated... Sorry, low levels of serotonin is associated with depression in humans. Okay, so it's a little bit different for locusts, but only a little bit. But what you're saying is if we need to solve the locust problem, we've just got to give them a big downer. Just, hey, locusts, global warming, sea levels are rising, how do you feel? Oh, just... I don't feel like eating anymore. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. This is what they did. See, normally, I didn't know this. Normally, locusts are shy, solitary creatures. They don't like hanging Mm -hmm. out with other locusts at all. Mm -hmm. But then, when they are in the company of locusts, uh, over a matter of hours, they change. Not only the way that they behave, but the way they look. They change colour when they start their swarming behaviour. Now, in nature, that sort of happens when... Food sources are running out, and so all of the locusts sort of have to gather in one spot to eat. Each other. In science, not quite. In, in science, that happens when they get, you know, a small see-through box and cram a whole bunch of locusts <laughs> in. <laughs> okay, let's slightly see, different. Let's mimic the effects of a drought. Get the box. But quick. it's so that they can see what's going on. So, um, one of the first things that happens when a whole bunch of locusts are in a box together is they start touching one another. Okay, that seems fairly harmless, 
but they have these really, really sensitive hairs on the back of their back legs. Now, when they are touched, it sends a message through the central nervous system, releases serotonin in the brain. Locusts with low serotonin, oh, happy, not causing any trouble. I'll just stand over here, kind of locusts, right? Once that level starts to rise, serotonin in the brain goes up. They turn into the gregarious, that's literally the word that they use in the scientific paper to describe wow. them, gregarious, active, troublemaking, different coloured, crazy, I'm going to eat everything in my path kind of locusts. It's a rave party. It sounds it's exactly it's a rave party. like You a get rave. a bunch of locusts who are sitting around going, no, I'm fine, no, really. It's Just look. It's, it's a Friday afternoon. I don't. Hey, there's this party. Come on. Yeah. All right, all right. Come on. <laughs> someone starts. Someone starts touching on the leg, and by then, it's it's uh-huh. all over. Well, who hasn't been touched on the leg and gone a little crazy at one point in time? And, and eaten your neighbour. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the good news is we know what's making them swarm. Yep. Bad news is. We can't just release a serotonin inhibitor mm. because then we'll have a lot of depressed farmers and mm. we've already got enough of those. Mm. But um, they're hoping that now that they know it's serotonin, mm. they'll be able to track the pathway back and come in at some point in where mm. it won't harm humans or other animals mm. with serotonin and just cut off that serotonin supply so that they're always depressed, always shy, always <laughs> solitary and never swarm. Doesn't that mean that they'll also never reproduce if they're quite lonely creatures? Um, Do, is there reproduction? linked at all in the, in the same kind of way? Do they sort of have this mass orgy as well? <laughs> yeah, I think, Jackie, I think you're thinking of your dance That's the rave rather party. than That's the locusts. We're talking yeah? about the locusts. Now. But, I mean, that is really cool because mm. it's... Uh, not the, the, the locusts, it's not. Well, it's They're going to be depressed. But, yeah, okay, get past it, Jackie. But the, the point that I'm trying to squeeze out here yeah. is that you know the the locust plague is is I mean as I said before it's from sort of biblical times it's it's one of those things that locusts they swarm and they do all this stuff and and the the knowledge that this is you know um, through the the chemical pathways of of a of a substance like serotonin which we understand about a hell of a lot already just adds a you know a really interesting thing into the mix of the the locust story yes it does when it came out it wasn't much of a point at all but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to say Jesus never would have come on this planet if it wasn't for... I'm not going there. I'm not... (laughs) Well, I met you at the blood bank We were looking at the bags Wondering if any other colour Matched any other names we knew on the tags You said, see, look at that, that's yours Stacked on top with your brothers See how they resemble one another Even in the plastic little cups And I say That secret that you know That you don't know how to tell with your honor and it teases your head but you know that it's good because it's running you Like the present to be sure.
was Bon Iver with their latest release, Blood Bank. You're currently listening to Diffusion, broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is diffusion at 2ser.com. Now, Tilly, you've got one more interesting little story up your sleeve, I believe. Yes, I do. Very big sleeves, always something extra in there. Now, uh, this story is about drinking during pregnancy. Now, it shouldn't come as an enormous surprise to anyone that heavy drinking during your pregnancy increases the risks for the babies. No. Okay? Check. This is the Pretty mother. Cause, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I've had a couple of kids <laughs> and I needed a few along the way. I've, I've heard of mummy's wine time, though. 5.30 till 7.30, mm-hmm. always have a drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also known as arsenic not, hour. Not, but, um, not yes, during the pregnancy. We, we won't go there. This is no. after the baby. No. Yeah. <laughs> look, even, yeah. Well, look, uh, the first three months, they are the most critical part of the baby's development. Uh, and these Australian researchers have been, basically, they've been looking into trying to find out why drinking during pregnancy injures the fetus okay so we know it's happening and but why i'm quite interested that it's the first three months that is the worst because i would have thought it would be during brain development when alcohol would really affect your fetus yeah but, so the first three months like and that's that's a shame because you often don't know in the first like you know little while that you are pregnant exactly i think that's one of the the big points of this entire story is that it's not about you know getting getting on the booze once you know that you're pregnant but about people trying or maybe not even trying but just sort of not particularly using contraception, mm. seeing what happens in the world, and then you go, oh, my God, I'm pregnant, and I had way too much champagne yeah. at Terry's birthday I've been on week. a bender since 1998. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that would be not so good. Yeah. Anyway, obviously, they can't do any studies about this on humans because, you know, they'd probably be shot. Mm. So they've been doing research on mice and mice fetuses, and let me tell you, it is not a pretty story reading the methodology in that paper <laughs> on how they do it. Go down to the little ma- mouse bar, yeah. get the mouse drunk. <laughs> well, that would have been all <laughs> Take right. advantage of it. Yeah, if, they could, if the little mice could just be going along <laughs> drinking or something, but no, they're injected with ethanol. Anyway, oh. I digress. 
turns out that the abnormalities in a fetus after heavy drinking are at least partly due to zinc or the lack of it, to be exact. See, because zinc is really important. It's an important chemical in the development and pathways in all sorts of things, and especially in that really that growth period and development of the first three months in the fetus. Now, when you drink alcohol, our liver produces much more of this special protein that loves zinc. All it wants to do is hang out with it. It drags it out of the blood into the liver, binds it, for up to and even more than sometimes 16 hours. Now, if it's just your health that you're in development and growth, not such a big thing. I, I actually stopped growing. <laughs> <laughs> for those 16... That's not true. There's Do bits I... of you growing all the time. Oh, is that? And regenerate, not regenerating Doctor Who style, but regenerate... Can we go back to the yeah, story? Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a mental image I don't need to have. So when you've got your nutrition to worry about, not so much of a problem, but when if a baby has is cut off from zinc, that's when they can't grow and develop properly and the abnormalities start to occur. So the researchers basically gave these mice zinc supplements and all of the fetal abnormalities, even when they were drinking heavily, dropped right down and not so much of a problem, sort of like a buffer zone. They're going to be looking to do the the, the same sort of stuff in mice, uh, sorry, in sheep and pigs. Uh, and at the moment, they can't recommend anything, but they're hoping that in the future, there will be a zinc supplement that's encouraged, just like folic acid or mm. stuff like that, for mm. women who are actively trying to get pregnant so that they're just got a little bit of a buffer zone so they don't need to worry so much. And, but yeah, definitely. Can, can zinc be harmful at all? Like if they just put it in our bread along with the omega-3, would, would that be all right? Mm, homework for next week. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> no idea. Zinc, I mean, it can be damaging to your image if you put it on your nose. <laughs> How gross and is then, zinc cream? And then, and then get burnt over the top of it so you've got the little strip in the middle. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for right now on Diffusion. You've been listening to Diffusion. If you'd like any more information about the stories you heard today... Or if you've got feedback or excited wild praise, email us at Diffusion. It's diffusion at 2SER.com. You've been listening to the wonderful voice of Chris Stewart. Bye, everybody. And Tilly Boleyn. Ta-ta. Who also did the panelling. This is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network and recorded in the studios of 2SER. I'm Jackie Hayes. Join us next week on Diffusion. Diffusion.